Cause all the people I truly serve This is Year Zero. Today, Ace joined me, Ace Arcist, as you might know him from Twitter, joined me to discuss anarchy, agorism, market capitalism, all that good jazz, and what people should be doing in their everyday lives to experience true freedom and liberty. But first... As always, RyanBunting.com for all of your graphic design needs. Go to RyanBunting.com. Ryan Bunting is a great anarcho-capitalist and a great libertarian. He's also a great graphic designer. He designed my podcast logo and Pete Quinonez's podcast logo. So go to RyanBunting.com for all of your graphic design needs. And thank you, Tom Burton, for the music. Enjoy. I am here with Ace Arcist, otherwise known as Michael Malice's ghostwriter for Joe Rogan. What's going on, man? Hey, man. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much, Tommy. <laughs> I'm glad we were able to make it work out. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> what has I, I've heard? I think I've heard a couple of people ask you about this, but did Michael Malice um, get your permission to use your IP on Joe Rogan Experience, or is there a lawsuit pending? Yeah. What's happening here? So no, um, after like he quote tweeted, we had a little conversation. And I told him I didn't, I didn't need any credit for the uh, for the uh, Constitution quote. So yeah, it's all good. It's all good. That's good. That's good. I'm glad. Yeah. We, last thing we need is more <laughs> drama in a in our movement. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no. Anyone who wants to use that quote, by all means, do it, and you do not need to credit me. Yeah, go go ahead and repeat the quote. What was it? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it's uh, the the Constitution is the conservative equivalent of a gun-free zone sign. Yeah, yeah that's how you put it. Yeah. I knew I would have fucked it up if I would have tried to say it. But... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that was that was excellent. And when I I had just seen it, I think the day before he went on Rogan, and I'd seen it and I'd liked it, and then he he said it. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess it was Malice that said that. And then he was like <laughs> quoting somebody or something like that. And I was like, oh, no, he got that yeah. from somewhere. And then I heard everybody going, oh, it was Ace. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, I just love that it's spread. You know, it's really cool to like create something that's, you know, kind of entered like the ethos or like the uh, the ether and it's just out there. You know, anyone can use it now. Well, you, you seem to have a knack for that. And you're... Uh, and it's because you are so well read and it's so obvious that you're well read that you're not faking no, it. You. You're not that you're not trying to fill in gaps that you have no business trying to fill in. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen you say, I don't know, but I imagine if there's something you don't know, you would admit that you don't know, which is, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, very respectable. And you don't get that from a lot of people. <laughs> But yeah, I, I've had a couple things or I've had a couple instances where I've had to say, I don't know, even on like political questions, like, you know, like questions like, well, what do you do with the nukes? Right. Like, like that type of thing. It's like, well, I honestly, I don't know. I don't have a perfect answer for you on that type of stuff, you know? 
Oh, that's right. I do remember that conversation because I, I responded to that guy. And, you know, um, whereas it would be nice if, if you know, governments went away and nuclear weapons weren't, you know, necessary. But the, right. you know, the way I look at it, the fact of the matter is, even if there were no governments, the, mm-hmm. the technology's out there. And That's right. It's the Pandora's box. Right. There's going to be that those people that want to control the population that will get nuclear weapons in order to control the population. But on the other right. hand, if they want to control the population, where are they going to kill the entire population? So it's kind of like this weird dilemma. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, that is, that is a tough question. That's uh that's one that you can't really easily address that. I think there's always going to be a psychopath uh, willing to nuke somebody like Truman. So, mm-hmm. sure, yeah, 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 very true. <clears throat> I mean, it's it's pretty widely accepted that all the Joint Chiefs of Staff, everybody told him not to do it, and he did it anyway. And, oh yeah, and now everybody yeah. defends the, the idea, and it's like, yeah, but nobody wanted him to do it. <laughs> so yeah a lot a lot of his generals were like no uh, we do not need to do this Mo- yeah i think like most of them actually yeah japan was on the way out and uh it was it was definitely oh, yeah. an unnecessary move it was more of a signal to the soviet union i think oh yeah i think so too 100 percent. they were just showing off right right and it's like what what is you know what is a few million people out of a population of a billion or whatever lives in japan you know, so, right. So, but that's, you know, that's the way these people look at, at human life, you know, altogether. So, oh yeah. Yeah. It's just a statistic to them. Yeah. Well, and that, that moves us kind of to our, the philosophy part of the discussion. So you just, you describe yourself as a market anarchist. I've, I've, yes. I've seen you use that term. It's kind of the term I use as well, at least philosophically. Um, mm-hmm. But but I consider myself an agorist, uh, sure. Just because I am acting in as many ways as possible to pad myself and break free of the system. And yes, you can be both because it kind of they kind of tie in together, you know. Um, and I'm not saying that for your benefit. I'm saying that for the benefit of the listener. Oh yeah, no, you. Yeah. <laughs> so, but um, so when you when you look at the anarchist philosophy, you've read even some of these people I've never mm-hmm. read. I've never read like Proudhon and uh, I've never read Bakunin. Okay. I know. haven't read, I haven't read too much of Proudhon to be fair. Oh, okay. I've read, I've read a little bit enough for me to get by. And I, mo- a lot of Proudhon for me is secondhand. Uh, I've read a little bit of, or uh, an okay amount of him, but, but he's, I don't prefer his writing style. I'll say that. Yeah. But sorry to derail. No, no, no. That's fine. I, I was just, I haven't read any of his stuff. It Like, it's just never even crossed my mind. And I was telling this to Cotton last night that I, I, I tend to neglect philosophy. And I don't do it because I don't think it's important. I do it because I don't want always to be caught in the weeds of philosophical discussions and oh, lose, yes. lose people. You know? Right, right. And there's a fine line there with with how much you can uh, really digest and put out there in the ether that your average like construction worker is going to pick up. 
which is kind of who I target my show after are, sure. are those average people. Absolutely. That, that aren't buried in, in philosophy, but give us for people that are afraid of the word anarchism, give us a, <laughs> a, a, a nice breakdown of your philosophy of anarchism. Sure. Um, other people are not your property. <laughs> that's, that's as simple as it gets right there. And, uh, you know, the, the flip side of that is that who has a better claim to your life than you, right? Like, I think those two things together, you, you kind of like, uh, like um, absorb that. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, obviously each individual has the best claim to their life. That's kind of like intuitive for most people, right? right? That's just like something that they all understand. So uh, anarchism doesn't have to be this scary word. I know I, I can understand people's like immediate revulsion to it when they first hear about it, but really it's just as simple as that. It's the fact that, Hey, each human being is their own sovereign and, uh, you act as an anarchist almost every day of your life, treating other human beings as equal sovereigns. Right. Yeah. About 90% of our lives are spent in, in some sort of anarchist situation and people That's don't right. look at that because they, or like, well, there's a government. Well, yeah, but that you're not interacting with that government 98% right. of your life. That's, that's exactly the way I, you go through your day. I, exactly. And to add on to that, I, I think it's a big mistake sometimes when people assume that anarchism, because when they say that, well, we don't have anarchism right now because there's a state. Well, no, we don't have a full anarchist society. That is true. But we do have anarchism, right? An anarchist society is just... Um, would be, you know, the fulfillment of those anarchist relationships uh, uh, spreading throughout society into like social functions like law and security and stuff like that. So people, in my view, should take a much more like fluid view of like anarchism versus statism in the sense that you and I are having an anarchist relationship right now. But if a cop came into my room right now, we would, I would not be in an anarchist relationship with the cop, but I still could be in an anarchist relationship with you at the same time. Right. right. So you can have both simultaneously. It's not this, you know, if or then type thing. It's, yes. it's, it can be both. Yes, it's exactly. And yeah, when we're, when we're talking anarchism, we're talking about the voluntary interaction. That's right. You know? Going That's to right. The, yes. Going to the grocery store is an anarchist interaction throughout your day. That's right. Yes. You know, yeah. you choose to go to a specific store. You choose what to buy. There's nobody there with a gun forcing you to do anything. And exactly. And people people will often say, well, that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. And it's like, yeah, it's not really that difficult to wrap your mind. Yeah, around it's, these things. Right. <laughs> it's really not. I think so. I think people have been trained to think if it's simple, it must be wrong. You know what I mean? They have that kind of view, um, but that's not necessarily true. It actually kind of is that simple. It really the, it is. Putting it into practice is a little more complicated, but it, it, you know, philosophically, that's kind of what it is. Right. Right. And, and I'm, I was, I was working on um, a short story and I need to get back on it. And I came up with this one scene where it's um it's a, it's a guy that's um, within the intelligence agencies mm -hmm. and he's talking to a potential presidential candidate and she asks him like give me some direction on what y'all need what I have to do for your endorsement to get y'all to endorse me to, to get y'all to ensure that mm -hmm. I'm the nomination uh, I'm the nominee for, for president and he said he said look around you and they're sitting like at the Washington monument 
He said, look around you. What do you see? And she's like, busy people going through their day working. He said, no, anarchy. And it's our job (laughs) to give these people the illusion that they need us. And that without us, the whole society would fall apart. And as long as they are unaware that they live in an anarchist society and they depend on us for that state of mind that gives them security. And you're able to elicit that message and send that message to them. Then you, you got the okay. And so in, in what I was getting at with that, when writing it was look, if people like me or ACE can see that the daily interactions for, of, of everybody are anarchic, then the people in DC already know this. They're not oblivious to this fact and they have to figure out a way to make us as dependent on them as possible, or at least believe that we're depending on dependent on them. That's exactly right. And, And, you know, not only do they know it, but those people actually interact with the other heads of state in anarchist manners, some of the time, at least, you know, like, like, um, Mexico and Canada, do not share the same government. They do not share the same laws. Uh, the heads of state of Mexico, uh, Mexico and Canada are considered sovereigns on the world stage and they interact without a bigger government over them telling them what to do. You know what I mean? Right. So, so even they, even they do it. Right. Right. So to some and, extent. Yeah. And I just think, I just point that out because I think it's important to, to really break down exactly what it is we're talking about here. And I think at some point in this conversation, I want to I want to kind of shift it from anarchy to mm-hmm. self-governance, which right. might, might be an easier way to sell it to people. Yeah, but, absolutely. But I was talking to you a little bit um, beforehand and we I brought up the Jefferson Hamiltonian debate about agrarian yeah. agrarian society versus industrial society. And this is kind of going to flow off of what cotton and I were talking about last night with, uh, talking about capitalist realism. And then, um, also thinking about the writings of Kaczynski and what do you, it it feels to me, it, it seems to me like what Jefferson was really trying to get across that maybe he wasn't verbalizing as well as he could have is that agrarianism lends itself to freedom better than industrial civilization. Right. Yeah. So, you know, um, Jefferson had kind of envisioned this idea that people would be, you know, kind of um, uh, farmers or just like owning land, you know, somewhere out in the vast landscape. And it was, you know, Hamilton's view was that, no, we need a, uh, we need, you know, it, um, to push industrialism as far as it can put be pushed essentially right to, uh, to increase growth and production. Now, to most libertarians, like listening to this, that probably seems, you know, oh, that seems fine. That seems good. I mean, production is good. Uh, But the problem is that a lot of times when you see industrial societies and you see that with the state, uh, often the state is interwoven with those industrial societies and they often have this underlying like substratum of coercion underneath them underpinning those uh, those societies right which you might which you know if you look into history you might not see that uh is in like some agrarian society not as much anyway 
so so there are i do think there are they this did go hand in hand with like ensuring more coercion maybe it wasn't the call i don't think industrial society was necessarily a cause of it obviously but they do go hand in hand no i think i think where hamilton really messed up and it's not there's nothing wrong with industrialization on its face right um the technology moves you forward and as we've done with podcasts and all kinds of different things getting together at childerberg we use this technology to yeah. to spread our freedom whether it's cryptocurrency right. 3d printing whatever it is so the technology can be utilized on an individual level to grow freedom and i think that's kind of what hamilton envisioned but like you said that the state pushing the industrialization the state it it, it became you know, feudalism or a mercantilism at that point in time where it, it yeah. was this corporatist structure where they were so interwoven that the states, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Interests were, were also the corporate interests. And so, and you hear a lot of people talk about this, especially like socialists will push this that, well, America mm -hmm. is a corporation. And it's like, ah, eh, kind of. I mean, they're America, the federal government is completely intertwined and, you know, irreconcilable from from the corporations that it props up. But right. I don't know if America, if you could look at the federal government itself as a corporation of some some sort. I mean, it, it's like, it's a corporation unlike any other, right? So it is like big as, you know, the corporations are now unnaturally. So uh, they still don't have the same ability or the same quote unquote, you know, legal rights to do what the state does. Right, right. Yeah. And this is something I've been, I've been kind of bouncing around in my head is in, I didn't mean to start a thing with that the other day on Twitter, but he had, um, he had said, Here, here's a good family discussion for you to have at, at dinner time. Is, uh, is something along the lines, is Kamala Harris and Joe Biden working for the Chinese government or are they working alongside the Chinese government? And I said, or, and I was just kind of like prodding, like, let's have it, let, let's kind of like see what happens here as far as where this conversation mm -hmm. goes. Wasn't thinking that anybody would, kind of take it as I was saying, this is absolutely my opinion, 100%. But I said, or um, are the corporations really pulling the strings and the international link between governments and the governments are left with no, for for the benefit of finances and the economy are left with, with nothing but to do the bidding of the corporations, you know? And then it kind of went right. from there and, and he was like, well, you're a libertarian. You can't think this. And I'm like, no, I'm saying like, has the state evolved to such a size that these corporate structures like the IMF, WEF, these things, oh, yeah. these international corporations are actually part of the state entity and the link in, in a global government uh, between all the different industrialized nation states you know right it, it's like a, a symbiotic uh, relationship right so like um the the state 
it obviously exists and but and the corporations exist because of the state in most cases right so you can say that a lot of these corporations only exist at the size they do because of the state's privilege of the they they uh, coercively block out other competition uh and that you know obviously is going to increase the corporation's market share because no other competition can come in and compete with them they're given like uh subsidies throughout time and history that's mercantilism um, but but then again, as you know, to your point, um, the state also the, the corporations are good for the business of the state, right? You have all these like this production helps the state in one way or the other. Now that's not to say, of course, that production itself is bad, but this like within the state system, it has to you have to like reconcile the fact that yeah, this massive production is also going to help the state when they you know uh, claim it. Right. It's almost they like extracted it's, from people. Yeah. It, it's almost like did the student surpass the master is kind of where, where I'm going right. with it. Because if you look at somebody like a Bill Gates or a Klaus Schwab or a George Soros, they're mm-hmm. not they they don't suffer the limits of borders like somebody like you or I. Right. Would. You know, they right. don't they don't need a particular nation, but the nations need them. And some guy told me, he goes, well, that that's not even uh, an argument because the state can do away with a corporation with a swipe of a pen. But are some of the some of these corporations are so international that if like, let's say Russia in 2011 kicked out George Soros. Right. And so George Soros can no longer do business in Russia, but it didn't kill George Soros. Right. It didn't destroy his empire. It just right. moved him out of that area and he's just working in other regions. So it's like, it has the student surpassed the master here. And is the student the one actually able to pull the strings because the master needs the student more than the student needs the master. No, that's a great point, Ashley. Yeah. Yeah. I actually do think there's a lot of truth to that. I do think that in a lot of cases, these uh, states, rely on these corporations for a lot of the benefits it's not it's not merely just one way right it's not merely that the state gives the corporations a benefit they do it for a reason right Right. so there is like a dual power relationship here that they don't want to break right Right. because if they meant nothing to them then they would just you know treat them the same as any other you know any other uh business it's like small business and if they did that then the corporations wouldn't exist to begin with right exactly yeah and so so this is kind of like the 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 what i've been struggling with in my head it's like how do we as more libertarian minded people look at this relationship between the state and the corporation separate the private business from the the corporate structure the corporatism that is the state corporate marriage and, and operate in such a way where we're benefiting actual private business and, and choking off massive corporate relations, right? Because to me, it's just as important at this point in time for, let's say, operating in the gray market. If you're, if you're looking at the, the, the example of the Soviet Union and and the way the gray market choked off the economics of 
of the Soviet Union, along with their war spending and all that shit. Like, I'm not mm -hmm. saying it was just a gray market, but the gray market was actionable in this. You see it happening in North Korea. It happened in Cambodia. So I'm looking at it and I'm saying, okay, how do we utilize the gray market to not only deplete the state, but deplete the corporations because all because they have enough money where they can just put another state in place. You know, they could just kind of buy another state and just kind of they have the resources right. at hand where just getting rid of the U.S. federal government or rendering them incompetent or impotent is not going to solve the problems that we face today. And I always point to this. Um, there's uh, an article that was written by a guy named Parag Khanna. And Parag Khanna is, is um, a business owner, and he speaks in front of the World Economic Forum all the time. So you know he has some clout. He's speaking in front of oh, world yeah. leaders. <clears throat> so, so he wrote an article, and it was talking about how to utilize the decentralized, the movements of decentralized decentralization, like Brexit or Texit or all these secession movements, all these decentralized movements. How to utilize those to continue growing the power of the corp corporations and corporate governance. And so what, what he, what he, the way he boiled it down was basically that if, if it comes to it and there is large decentralized movements, it's not an issue because the local politicians are going to be for sale too. And they just have to find the right ones and right. buy them off. And he basically said in the article, we can allow these decentralized movements to create their own social structures and and organize their society as they as they please as long as we control the economic structures and the economic tools and businesses that are going that are growing in their local localized you know areas yeah no that's a really good point um i i think the best way to do that is honestly what's been going on recently, which is honestly, okay. So there, there's a couple different things that maintain like corporate power in America through like uh, state regulation, which is IP law is a big one, right? So things like, you know, just pirating things, you know, allegedly pirating things uh, um, would probably reduce their power uh, in some sense like that, you know, just it would reduce the amount of money they can take in. So that is a form of like agorism right there, right? And then Another form of it would be just completely like decentralizing the means of production even more like through 3D printing. Uh, that is also going to create this 3D printing in my view is the um, like next industrial revolution. And it's actually one in my opinion that will support individualism more than the last one did. So I think that is, uh, that is a, great, uh, a great avenue for hope. And I think if we continue going down that path I do think eventually corporations will will start to try to monopolize 3D printing, but at that point, I think it will I think it'll be too late for them. So I do see hope on the horizon that you know through things like 3D printing, which is going to advance more and more each year, it's going to and it's going to become cheaper and cheaper each year to just get a 3D printer. Um, in like maybe I don't know 10, 15 years from now, we're actually going to see real advan advancements on people being able to like uh, self sustain themselves easier. Did you see that, um, and this is kind of a side note, but did you see that video where they 3D printed a house? 
I did. Yeah, it was That's, incredible. That was cool. Yeah, that was yeah. really cool. Right. Yeah, because the 3D yeah. printer, they they weren't using like, I don't know what it's the filament. They were using concrete. Yeah, yeah they were right. 3D printing with concrete. It was really cool. Right. Yeah, I was like, whoa, yeah. that is fucking nuts, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's wild. And like that's the type could, of stuff. They said they could build like a like a two hundred thousand dollar home for like forty thousand dollars. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It, I was going to say, well, you know, that there goes the homeless problem. But then again, you know, the state and their zoning laws is the main reason for the homeless problem. But right. but yeah. but still, the fact that you can, the fact that that can just be done, is just incredible. Oh yeah, no. You look at like it's like what is it? Ninety percent of the land west of uh, west of Nebraska is mm-hmm. is owned by the federal government. If you want right. to get rid of the homeless population, there's plenty of places to put them. Yeah, just or I, reinstitute I, homesteading. How many ghost right. towns are there where somebody could just move into the house, fix up the house, and and start farming the land? And exactly, you know, I mean, it, it's just insane. But they've corralled everybody into these cities. That's right. Yeah, and you know what? what sometimes what they'll do is that they'll use that land that the state illegitimately like acquired and has control of, and then they'll sell it off to like some of their oligarchs or some of their cronies. And then th- those those like corporations will own a bunch of land illegitimately, obviously, and they'll just do nothing with it, or they'll or they'll do things that you know would not have naturally occurred if it had been a free market at the very least. So yeah, you have, you have all this land and yeah. Have you heard of slab city? Uh, I've heard of it. I don't know too much about it. Okay. Well, slab city is like, it's basically a homeless encampment in, in California in the middle of the desert. Oh, I have heard of this. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, But it, but it's on like an old military base and, and there's just the slabs left of all the military facilities and, people have just moved in there and there's there's people there that have figured out like how to how to cool their like little shanty with but just by growing plants inside of it and all the greenery keeps it cool inside so they don't overheat and they have chickens and that i mean they're living like homestead like old school homestead lives that's awesome some of these people there yeah it's really cool man i'm like that's I'm like, cool. that's pretty wild. Yeah, there's no every. They say every once in a while, the the sheriff from the local town comes in and causes problems. But for the most part, they're free to do what they want. You know. Yeah, I, I think a, a big thing for people to do, you know, given recent events especially, is to consider getting out of the cities. Right, like like the cities are the most concentrated areas of power in this country by far. You look at any big city in America it's you're going to see way more tyrannical laws than you will in like some area where it's just like you know i don't want to say the middle of nowhere because that's not necessarily true but just outside of a city you know just even just a little bit outside of a city and you know it's a huge difference so you know people getting out and you know homesteading their own like plot whether whether or not the state says it's okay is that that's what i want to see more of that's great yeah no absolutely and that's something i've really focused on and not only for that reason, but the supply chain's been broken for over a year. We're looking at another two mm-hmm. years before it's com- before it completely comes back online properly. So if you're stuck in a city, that's where it's really going to be affected. Like I live out in the middle of nowhere. I don't. I've, I've right. noticed a couple of shortages on a few things, but 
it, it doesn't last, but maybe a week and we, we have it back in stock right. and you know, my wife will be like, Oh shit, I can't find Clorox wipes. And I'll be like, all right, well just buy bleach and you know, whatever, we'll make it work. And then, you know, a week later, Clorox wipes are back on the shelf. So it's not a big deal, but, but in the cities, when those supply chains break down in the cities, that's where you're going to see all the violence. That's where people are going to be freaking right. out, you know, kind of right. where I live they kind of know how to handle themselves. They're like, all right, well, we'll just figure this out. We're just going to go on about our business, you know? So, and yeah, and I, they, I think some, I think some, oh, oh, I was just going to say, and as they break down in the inner city, these, the violence is going to move out to the suburbs. The crime's going to move out to right. the suburbs even more. And so those that are living in the suburbs are, are just as at risk because the suburbs are almost as highly populated as the inner cities are nowadays. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah. So like sometimes libertarians in, in will, you know, w when you talk about self-sufficiency, they'll, they'll kind of deride it as being, Oh, well, you know, you don't want to make everything yourself. Obviously you want to have the division of labor, which is correct. I, I agree with that assessment, but you also should know it'll, at the very least how, if things go wrong, how to self-sustain at the very minimum, you know what I mean? Right. I, I think that, yeah, I think there's a downside to um, relying on the division of labor completely, because at a certain point, if those supply chains do break down, you don't know how to feed yourself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, well, so at a certain point, I do think it's really important to just have something off the on the side. The division of labor and talking that in theory is is all well and good. Problem is, we live in mm -hmm. a yeah. we live in a point in time, a society nowadays where there's no such thing as a tight knit community anymore. That's so, right. Yeah. So that's unless exactly you're correct. unless you're operating in such a way that you're creating yourself a tight a tight knit community that is 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 working um, through the division of labor and you are utilizing each other's skills and you know helping each other out, then when things really break down, you're kind of on your own. I mean, right. I, I, I mean, it's just the way that things have happened, and this was one of the things that Kaczynski talked about in uh, industrial uh, society in its future is he talked about how industrialization created the atmosphere for families to start being separated and not living close right. together anymore. So it was so the now, end of the extended family, in fact. Right, exactly. And so now you're in a situation where you're trying to you're trying to create that same bond in that same kind of, you know, dependency and trust with people that you're not related to, which is completely, it's a completely different story, you know? Right. And, and you know, we used to have in the past uh, in this country and all over were mutual aid societies, right? And, and what these were, were these opt-in voluntary organizations where people paid, I think back then, back in like when, before they were essentially regulated out of existence, a person could pay just a day's wage and it would cover them for like almost a whole year right into these mutual aid societies and they these mutual aid societies they provide for each other they would uh acquire contracts through like private contractors like doctors would just uh you know they'd have a doctor on retainer uh they provided housing food all this stuff and just like this you know this social safety net that was a, that was created voluntarily through all these organizations and they were competing organizations and if people didn't like one they could move to another like very easily uh, these were regulated out of existence, and the state has continued to do this throughout history. They've continued to atomize people 
and make them um, make them um, subservient to the state, make them rely on the state. And this is no accident, right? They right. want you to be completely uh, separated from any type of community. They want to be relied on by people and relied on with no one else, right? That that's sort of their um, their goals. Yeah, and this was something that John Odermatt asked me about the other night. I had uh, mm -hmm. he he interviewed me for his show. I think it'll be coming out next week. Same week this podcast will come out, actually. Um, and he asked me, um, when do you when do you bug out? You know, when do you just bolt? When do you just give right. up on the U.S.? And I was like, you know, I mean, if you're Ven Armani, you know, like, it's great. But the fact of the <laughs> matter is, not all of us have those kind of resources or, or, or have that ability. I have five kids, you know, and I have a mom and a dad. And I happen to have a piece of property that's big enough if they need somewhere to go i can i can put them up and i can handle right. it you know and and so i feel like i'm responsible you know i have some sort of responsibility to to hold tight and hold secure where i'm at just right. in case shit hits the fan in the houston area they they can go you know two and a half hours you know and and be okay that's right yeah I, and, you know, just like, as you said, like, not everyone has, you know, the luxury of like moving out of the US if that's something they'd want to do. So I definitely think like, um, something that would be really, really helpful and important to people is that if you're worried about like the US having like, really troubling times ahead, I would say, you know, and this is going to sound trite, but I would just say, get to know your neighbors, you know, like, and just uh, form some type of, and I know a lot of people know their neighbors. So, you know, maybe this isn't the best advice, but just, you know, know your neighbors to the point where you can feel comfortable relying on them and them relying on you. You right. know what I mean? Like, like you can feel that sense of camaraderie in some sense, if things ever do go bad to the point where it's like, yeah, if things do go bad, at least I have this person next door to me who I can trust uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, so I, I definitely think, you know, that's one way to like try to reestablish like communities in this kind of like uh, this society where everyone is atomized. Right. And and if your neighbors are shitheads, I mean, you know, check out freedomcells.org, you know. Uh, yeah. There, there's probably somebody in your in your region that you can hook up with and, you know, create a freedom cell and and, you know, pool your your services and this uh this was something i talked to i said at the end of the podcast that i recorded with cotton yesterday was communists socialists in even anarcho-capitalists have this this notion that if society the dollar does collapse and society collapses that their form or their ideal will be what's instituted and oh, I, no, no, no. and I and I I told him I said these people need to read Volturing Declare, like because right. because people are going to interact differently and and if and if anarcho capitalists understand anything they understand that that all interactions are to be voluntary and that every person has preferences and not everybody's preferences are exactly the same and so. Yeah. And so you're looking at a situation where I, I call it a panarcho mutualist society yeah. would probably, you know, come out of it. 
Right, right. Because you're going to have, like, you're going to have the end caps who are going to be, they may prefer their way of living and they may be over here. But you're also going to have, uh, you know, some communists or some like mutualists, right? Or syndicalists. And they're going to want to form their own societies too, right? So unless, you know, the either one of those groups wants to go to war, which is generally not preferable in any case, in any scenario, uh, they're going to want to make, you know, some type of like non-aggression pact or say, hey, we won't mess with you, don't mess with us. And I think that's a peaceful way to like kind of, you know, I think that's a realistic way of how these this like type of anarchism could evolve. Uh, yeah, I, I think panarchism is absolutely the way. Right. And uh, sorry, I, Beatrix is having a, a chicken. Oh, no, you're fine. She we're, we're out of chicken food. She's like, shit, oh. is all the chicken food gone? I was like, oh, oh no. shit, I think it is. Oh, no. <laughs> so, so, so yeah no um and and you know i, I think ancaps okay so i had a buddy of mine come up to, uh approach me the other day and he listens to the show sometimes so if you're listening you know who you are what's up dude and uh and he was like you know all this time i've thought i was a syndicalist and my closest allies were communists and i've come to realize i'm probably more libertarian and and i was wrong all along about the people i was associating with and i just said that takes real character to say that that's yeah yeah no he's a great dude and i just told him i said dude you got to read conkin i've been telling you this for years and he goes yeah i know and I, he goes, I was just about to say, you've been telling me this all along. And I was like, yeah, I was like, you got to read Konkin. I was like, honestly, I was like, because the agorist model, the mutualist model, the, the, the market capitalist or the markets, not capitalist model, all kind of intertwine and interact together. And they're all kind of talking about the same thing from different yeah. points of view, if you ask me. And, and so I, yeah. I don't look at. Whenever somebody was like, says, well, I'm a mutualist. I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not going to argue with them. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, fine. You know, right. like, I don't have a problem with this, you know? And I, I don't understand. Right. I think, I think that anarcho-capitalists and correct me if I'm wrong, but the anarcho-capitalists that seem to argue with these people more than anybody, more than try to find common ground are usually early in the stages of anarcho-capitalism and don't I really agree. like have a full grasp. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. No, I agree. Because like, if you really like it, it, it depends, right. Most, most of the time, most mutual sign meet I'm very cool with. Uh, it's, it's just the fact that, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, they do want freedom. Now there's differences in like how they want to arrange their property system, how, you know, to compare to some ANCAPs, but ultimately I think in an, if you're actually going to have an anarchist society, you in some sense have to account for this. Right. And I think any type of dispute can just be solved through mediation, if anything. Right. The whole idea behind like an anarchist society and by anarchist, we obviously mean, you know, a voluntary society is this idea that, look, if we ever resolve into some type of dispute, we can solve this peacefully and not like savages. We can solve this through some type of mediation. So I definitely think there's um, a very good case to be made that it's like, yeah, we we do not need to be enemies, uh, you know, intrinsically. Yeah, that, there's there's absolutely zero reason um, to to look at 
you know, somebody that it has, it, it's, it's something I really feel when you get the coercion of the state out of the picture, if we ever get to that, it wouldn't even mm-hmm. be an issue. It wouldn't even be a problem. It would be something that would just kind of like just shrugged and went on our merry way. You know what I'm saying? And right. Yeah, exactly. Cause I think of like instances like, like Tehran or Morsnet and things like that, like these small societies that have popped up, you know, and been completely free and they don't seem to have a really big issue because everything there is voluntarily decided on, you know? Right. Right. And you so, know, people always talk about how, oh, you know, anar- the problem with anarchism is it doesn't scale. But the whole problem with that argument, in my view, is that their view of scale is um, completely created by the state itself, right? right? It's like you're thinking of scale within, like, the state's borders. You know, they're, arbit- they're arbitrarily drawn borders. But scale in an anarchist society is each individual, right? And, and if each individual can just, like, kind of, like, you know, join an association and then leave if it doesn't fit their preference and then go join another at any time. So people will naturally scale to what they want, to the scale that they want to be a part of. You know what I mean? And that's how it would work in, you know, a panarchy too. Yeah, exactly. They, they, it, it just, it doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't really resonate with me. And I, I got really frustrated with this one guy one time cause he was, he was arguing he came at me, he goes, where's an anarchist society ever worked? And I said, well, look at Chiron. <laughs> and I posted an right. article. And he goes, well, that sounds communist. I said, but it's voluntary, so who gives a fuck? You know? Right. And he goes, right. oh, so now you're going to defend communists? I'm like, dude, I'm not defending, like, communists. I'm saying it's a voluntary, like, or- organization that they've voluntarily chosen to live that way. Who am I to tell them they're wrong? Right. You know? Exactly. It's like a bunch of people start sharing everything. Like, wh- wh- what's it of your business? Yeah, you know, it's, it's like, like, go away. What's the, <laughs> like, like how, what kind, how, how much of a Randian are you going to be today, man? Just leave me alone. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. That, that, no, led, exactly. that led yeah. me to making a meme that said objectivism is not libertarianism and just pissing a bunch of people off. I would kind of agree with that, actually. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, you know, who, how, however people want to associate it, as long as it's peaceful and voluntary, who am I to who am I to say, no, you can't do that? You right. know, like even if some people don't like might not like that type of association, it's like you still just stay in your lane. You know, right. these people aren't hurting anyone. Yeah. I mean, these, these <laughs> three, and, four or five people. And I'm are... guilty of this, too. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I'm guilty of this too, but it's like when the, you have the state murdering people in other countries right now, committing mass murder and genocide, it's like maybe the best thing to do is, you know, realize who the actual monsters are here, you know? Yeah. And I'm guilty of this too. I did this on Twitter. I engage in like libertarian squabbles, but, but really I do know that like the state is the ultimate enemy here. You know what I mean? It's like, some some communist who wants to live in a commune is not your enemy. That that's just silly. Yeah, no, that's it's absolutely ab- absurd to to think that you you know better than the people that are involved in the situation at the time, right? Exactly. I mean, maybe yeah. 
maybe their only form of defense is by living in a society that way because they kicked out all the politicians and all the all the cartels and so That's maybe right, yeah. operating in this way is the only way that they can survive you know right exactly yeah and there there yeah. has been i from what i understand there has been rumor that they are starting to move in some capitalist type of uh systems within to the society now but their main yeah, goal has always been to keep out the the politicians and the cartels that's right. They're um, from what I recall reading. They're uh, recruiting like businesses and stuff like that to come there. They're inviting businesses in. So yeah, that's a that's a very good, uh, very good development. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, before you know it, there'll be a boom town. It's just right. Exactly. Know, yeah. You just got to give these people time to get on their feet. They're trying to figure this out as they go. You know, they've never they've never. And what an accomplishment! Themselves. They ran the cartel. They ran the cartel and the government out. Right. Like that what an achievement. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And you know, it's it's one of the things I brag about about the area I live in. You know, we have a city hall in the in the nearest town to me, but I've never seen it open. We don't have a police department oh. in in the town. Oh, that's awesome. And, you know, they have a they have a crawfish boil and a fair every year to raise funds to do repairs on the roads and shit like that. I'm like, this mm -hmm. is about as close That's to awesome. a truly anarchist society that I'm probably going to find in the U S right now. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a good, that's a great point. It's like, you know, people have this belief that, well, you know, I, this is like one of the most common anarchist beliefs was like, well, without the government, the people would just become savages. But actually in your own like lived experience, at least in mine, that's not true. There are many cases where the government has not been involved in my life at all. And nor could they have been at that time. And people would just were completely, you know, not the way it's described that they would be, you know what I mean? And that's not to say that, that everyone is just, you know, not going to know that no one's going to do anything bad, but this idea that people just default to being bad without a government, it's obviously false. Yeah. And, 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 and the one thing I, I mentioned this on Twitter the other day, but the one thing I find that, that people fail to realize, and I think this goes more for the anarcho-communists and the syndicalists, mm -hmm is they fail to realize that you're more willing to engage in mutual exchange if you if you're able to take care of your own needs you have to like number one you have to be dependable right mm -hmm. and so right. how how dependable are you if you're going to be starving in three days you know what i'm saying and so right. there there is this this degree of selfishness and kind of mm -hmm. barbarianism or savagery the, the instinctual side of the human to take care of their own needs first and foremost. But when a person gets to the point where they can take care of themselves and offer aid to others, most people will. Right. Oh, and of course, I mean, I, I think they should, because obviously if you just like starve yourself to death by feeding other people, that's going to stop you from saving other people in the future or right. in helping them in the future. Right. So it's, it, it's actually, you know, it can look selfish, but actually it can be self, that can be selfless too, because you're, you know, doing that to help other people in the future. So yeah, there, there's obviously, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. That's perfectly great. Um, I, but yeah, I agree. There's, um, you have to, you know, uh, think about yourself at, at least at some point, uh, 
and then people are willing to help other people on average you know most people do want to help other people on average if they didn't the human beings would have died out long a long time ago (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) yeah i mean uh you look at how you know the native americans organized or or any of these tribal groups organized you know i mean you were you were speaking about ireland the other day yeah and you know that was a very there's there's all these different misconceptions about you know ancient ireland and i remember there was an Mm -hmm. article in on mises.org that i'd run into that had talked about ancient ireland i'd also read one on i think it was iceland that they had yeah iceland medieval iceland yeah they had written about i guess that was more like a viking you know um kind of uh the the way that the vikings organized but Mm -hmm. you know um they they did you know interact in in a communal way but they also interacted on an individualist way too there was kind of like this 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 interbreeding this combination of how humans interact day in and day out and it's no different than the way your life goes or the way my life goes like there are some people that we are closer to than other people there are some people we're going to be interacting with and more giving to and more charitable to than other people and it's just that's just the way that relationships are formed and cultured and nurtured and you know brought up so i i don't i don't really get where people get this idea that the state is absolutely necessary right yeah if you look at any social function that people claim that the state is necessary for you and you look through history you realize oh actually people society without the state have provided this service in the past without them Right. And you, all the way from just, you know, um, welfare in the form of like mutual aid to uh, law itself was provided, you know, it, I'll, I'll be very differently than how the state provides it, luckily, uh, and thankfully, but but it, it has been provided in the past, right? People like, like, the, I, I think, to, to be an anarchist, there has to be some underlying belief that decentralization and that decentralization can just work. You know what I mean? That spontaneous order can happen. If you can believe that, I think anarchism is an easier leap to get to. It's uh, it's just this belief that people will, on on average, not always, but on average, figure it out because the their, their incentives are aligned to figure it out. Right. Well, and we we've both read Spooner, so I'm mm-hmm. not gonna I'm not gonna like put too much emphasis on the constitution, but I think it is worthwhile to go back to the founding of the country in mm-hmm. some way, shape or form and, and discuss what the, how the founders had laid the, the system out for self-governance. Right. Right. So they had put forth a system to where the federal government was small. Yeah. There was no standing army there. And in the beginning, there was no federal government. <laughs> right. True. Yeah. There, but there was no standing army. Everything was dependent on each individual citizen interacting with, with each other 
in creating the defense and in creating the society, creating, right. as you said, the mutual aid, but before it was called mutual aid. Yeah. So how, how do we, I, I told Reed on the episode that's coming out on Friday, which is tomorrow, that uh, anarchists are actually, in reality, more conservative than conservatives. Because cause we're looking at, the like, we can look back to the way things were prior to the Constitution and say, yeah, that's what we want. You, oh, right. Uh, Self-governance. The, the Articles of Confederation would be way better than this shit. <laughs> right. Um, Benjamin Tucker, who is an anarchist, uh, he has this great quote, which is like, as anarchists, we believe in self-government and all external government is an imposition and that's why it must go. That's a paraphrase, but that's essentially like, and it's true, right? Like, like anarchism is this belief that each individual has the right to govern themselves and no one else. Right. And that's, that's it. Right. And, and you're right. Like, like here's the thing, right? Um, society as most people conceive of it is incorrect. Most people think of society as something that exists outside or like independent of individuals or that must be like forced upon people. But that's not true. Society arises up spontaneously, naturally. It emerges from individuals interacting with each other on the day-to-day -day basis for mutual benefit. That's all society is, right? And once you say that, well, okay, well, how would we provide this, this, or this? It's like, okay, well, people would provide it as they always have. And I know that's unsatisfactory to people who think it should be more complicated than that. And in certain cases it is, but ultimately that is how things happen. That is how, that's how anything happens. Most of your life is dependent or dependent upon other people voluntarily interacting with you right now with that even, right? Like, like most people, like food production, right? is dependent on decentralized individuals growing food, getting it, uh, like shipping it to market, all these things, and then eventually arriving at a grocery store, you know? So you have all this spontaneous order all around you and people take it for granted. No, you're absolutely right. And, and like, you look at that. And one of the things I I've said to people before is, is society, is there's no such thing as society. Right. All you have are individuals interacting with each other. That's right. And if you look at it like that, you're like, oh, okay. So I choose how to interact with this person or this person or that person. And, you know, from coming into this, this mindset and, and, and discovering this philosophy, it's, it's changed the way I interact with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's changed the way I view people and and it's 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 made me a much more peaceful person because I feel like I'm much more in control. Right. And, right. and so a lot of a lot of frustration, a lot of irritation and in anger comes whenever you feel like you have no control over a, That's a right. circumstance. But if you realize that you it in, in a peer to peer relationship you are half of that control mechanism. Exactly. You, you know, then that's, that gets rid of like this whole idea of the patriarchy or hierarchical, hierarchical structure right. that, that we hear, you know, preached about and, and demonized nowadays. Yeah. And so when you approach it that way, as just individuals interacting, 
it really does make you kind of take a step back and reassess how you interact and what your responsibility is for how interactions go. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you hit it right on the head. Um, there, like every single, yeah, as you said, there is no real society, right? Society is just like an aggregate of individuals interacting. It doesn't, it doesn't have an existence outside of the people within it, right? It's not more than the sum of its parts. And the same can be said for the state as well, in some cases, right? The state, as most people conceive of it, is only in their mind, right? You know what I mean? This idea that there's this entity out there that they have a moral obligation to obey, that's only in their mind. What, what there really are, are there people with guns who tell you what to do and will hurt you if you don't, right? That, that's what that is. So that's indistinguishable from a mafia. So really, they're just mafia men. Um, um, but, but as you said, most interactions, which are completely peaceful, like over 90% of them, uh, you can stop and you can take a moment and say, wow, okay, I am experiencing a purely voluntary relationship with this other person over here. And you can realize, oh, wow, this is great. You know, you can stop, you can take a second uh, and reflect on it. And it's like, oh, wow, you know, this is really good. I like, you know, I like this. Once you have that idea of every interaction is like an anarchist interaction that ends peacefully. It's like, oh, wow, I can really enjoy this now. Whereas before, you know, I think the state in some cases tries to, it atomizes people and it turns them almost into cogs. You know what, you know what I mean? It, it, yeah. it strips them of the individuality. So I think one of the steps to like, one of the benefits you gain from becoming an anarchist is you get to reclaim this individuality and you can see other people as human beings who are themselves sovereigns, just like you. And you, you can kind of form this mutual respect with them. Right. So much of the focus of my podcast is to point out abuses of power and how bad things have gotten and the direction in which we're heading as a society. And it can be a real black pill. I've partnered up with Richard Grove to offer my listeners an opportunity to sign up to his autonomy course. Uh, the autonomy course is designed for people looking for solutions, people that want to shape their own future, people that are not willing to be at the behest of large corporations or the United States government or the banking system. The autonomy course is designed for those of you who wish to have complete control of the reins of your life, who are looking to be successful, that to thrive and not just survive, to provide for your family by utilizing your existing skills and learning how to market and sell those skills in order to be your own boss or learn new skills in order to leverage that into a new career opportunity. So if there's a job out there you've been trying to get or you've been wishing you could get, but you just don't have the skills for it, the autonomy course is the place for you to start to learn how to land that position to learn how to market yourself better to gain confidence and to be surrounded by a community of like-minded people that will encourage you and help you along the way so use my affiliate links and go check out the autonomy course it could be right for you okay i want i want to move kind of in a different direction because okay wanna, sure yeah i want to kind of get a little bit of uh the psychological makeup of your generation. And uh -huh. this is, this has been something that, that I talked to John Odermatt about the other night. 
Yeah. And uh, I actually talked to Cotton about it a little bit last night. And it's something that I'm, I'm actually finding myself very interested in. And, and the reason, the reason being is because Eric and I, uh, Eric rebel from rebel with a cause talked about it the other, other night as well on, on the podcast that, that you had told me you listened yeah. to. So what, what, what we're trying to like, what I'm trying to, to balance out is in my generation, I'm 42 years old. My, my oldest son is almost as old as you are. Um, in my generation there, we're looking at it and we're, we're going through life and we were apolitical. We didn't give a shit about these people. We wanted nothing to do with these people. Like they were not part of us. And, and you'll see this represented in politics. There's not a lot of Gen Xers in politics. You know, there's just, right. we're just not, we're not involved in politics. We have no desire to be involved in politics. We're kind of like, just leave me alone, you know, and let us do our thing. Then the millennials hit and they got really ultra dependent upon government yeah. and in the government system. Then you got the, the generation Z and it really feels like generation Z is, is more like us than they are like millennials. Mm-hmm. And they're very much more independent minded. Now, John Odermatt, like he floated out this interesting idea that it was because y'all grew up in an age where everything was available at your fingertips via like mm-hmm. YouTube and you could do anything you wanted on the internet. And if you're like, I have, if I have this much control over this part of my life, why can't I have this much control over this part of my life? Because it really feels to me like there are so many more of your generation that are very tied to the ideas of Liberty than than even my generation possibly. Yeah, that's, you know, that's actually a really good point. And especially I like the uh, idea of like, you know, people having control, you know, at their fingertips of like what they consume and what they do uh, with their time online. That's really interesting. And that, yeah, that may be a really good explanation as, or at least part of an explanation as to why there are a lot of like young people who like Liberty com- compared to, you know, uh, other generations, I guess. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if I have too much more to add on that, but yeah, I definitely think that's uh, definitely true. I, I think um, specifically with like some of the, uh, you know, maybe like the gen z types which are you know from what i've seen if are like also like really dependent too though um i i think i think at a certain point you know you you have some of these like some of these kids who were like very not like uh, libertarian who are very like statist mm-hmm. I, I think a, a part of the reason that might be is that they that all their lives they've kind of had the reverse situation where they've been told all their life yeah you go to college you know you get this job and then things are kind of like smooth not smooth sailing but at least pretty good from there and now they're realizing that oh yeah they were sold lies all their childhood and now you know uh, you, they're 50 60 maybe hundred thousand dollars in debt and you know they have nothing and they were never raised to the point or they were never you know properly trained for the idea that yeah oh yeah you have to, in some sense, be prepared for this. So I, I feel like a lot of the people who are like statists who are also young are kind of 
raging against the fact that they were lied to and they feel like there's no hope, right? And they're begging people uh, who they believe to be in power who can control this to save them in some sense. So I actually think that's, it, it's like, a, um, um, it, it, it's true that like kids are more independent, but on the flip side, I think some of them are also more um, contingent on the state because they're, they feel like they have no control. Yeah. I think it's both. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like I was, I came up like as we were kind of like the last of the latchkey kids. I mean, that was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's who we were. Yeah. You know, we were running out, we were out running the streets, you know, playing baseball in the sandlot type deal. Right. You know, and we didn't, we didn't have the internet. I didn't even, I didn't even have a fucking smartphone. I never even really looked at the internet before I was like 31 years old. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Like right. I, I had, but not in any, for any length of time, you know, I didn't understand it. I was just like, it's there. Like if I need it, I'll use it. But you know, I just, I didn't even have a, I didn't have a smartphone until 2011, you know? And so it was just kind of like, all right, like whatever. And I look at like my kids, you know, my oldest son, he's 22 and he's, he'll, he'll say things like he's, he goes, well, honestly, when it comes to nine 11, I don't really give a shit because I, I don't even remember it. And I don't know what the hell was going on and like, whatever, somebody mm -hmm. blew up a building or something. I don't know. And, <laughs> and he's like, but I'm, I'm pretty libertarian. And, he's probably more libertine uh, because it's all instinct and it's no philosophy, but you know, I let him, I let him say what he wants to say. And then yesterday I'm texting back and forth with my 16 year old and we're, we're talking about economics in one lesson, you know, <laughs> right? And because they, he had asked me for some books that, that I recommend. So I sent him economics in one lesson. And so we're texting back and forth about it, you know, yesterday. That's awesome. Yeah. That's and he's, awesome. he's super agorist. He's like, I'm going to find a way to make money and I'm going to do what I have to do to make money. And I don't care what it right. means, you know, what it takes. And he's gotten suspended for, from school for selling candy bars in school and all oh, kinds God. of shit. Oh yeah. But he just doesn't care. He just has that spirit. That's awesome. Him. And he's yeah. just like, it, I'm going to keep doing it. And if they and get some mad people at me, are like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, if they, if they, if I get in trouble, I'm just going to tell him, call my dad. My dad's going to laugh at you, you know, because, because <laughs> I don't give a shit. Like, right. He wants to be an entrepreneur, like teach him how to be an entrepreneur then, you know? Right. In, in school, they really do not teach you. Like they give you a couple little like preset options as to what you can be when you grow up, you know, whenever, whenever they ask you this, but they, by doing that, they artificially, you know, um, define, like what is available to you or what is an acceptable job when really like uh, kids like your son are thinking outside the box. They're like, no, what types of ways can I pr produce value for other people? Right. You know what I mean? And once you think in those terms, you're not really restricted by, you know, some little box. Oh, you have, you know, to be a, an upstanding citizen or to be a good citizen, you have, you know, one of these like 10 options here as to what you want to be, you know? And it's like, no, you can do a lot of different things, maybe things that have never been done before to go and serve other people. Right. Yeah. And his thing was his, we, you know, he, he grew up, we were pretty poor as he's been growing up and, you know, and his thing was, okay, money's important. My parents mm -hmm. don't have enough of it. Like, so right. I got to figure out how to have it, you know? And that's his, okay. Yeah. That, 
you know, right. just oh, that yeah. simple, that simple mindset set him in a direction where he's probably going to be very successful. You know? Oh yeah. Oh just, yeah. I bet. Just because he thinks about things differently and right. You know, and I'm, I'm like, do it, man. You do your thing, you know, <laughs> I mean, right. You know, and, and so that, that kind of leads me down this road where I look at it and I said it probably a hundred times at Childerberg. Um, Beatrix is much more of an agorist than I am. And she's never read a word of philosophy, <laughs> right? Not one word. She could give a fuck less about yeah. philosophy, you know? And, and so, and that was her one concern about going is she was like, Oh, y'all, you're going to be talking about is philosophy and politics. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not going to be like that. I promise. And I'm like, you know, I'm not like that when I'm hanging out with you. Like, we're not going to, it's not going to be like that. And she's like, all right, fine. And she, cause she almost did back out a couple of weeks before and not go. And, and so she had a blast. She, I mean, she couldn't have raved more and she loves all you guys, but she, uh, you know, but I always say she's more of an agorist than me because she just does, does the work. She just sees an opportunity, right. says, yeah, I'm going to do this to make money. Now she's from a third world country. She, maybe she, maybe that's part of it, you know, like, you know, and, and I, I look at it and I see like, there are people all around us. Like I live out in the country. I see fruit stands on the side of the road all the time. I mm -hmm. see, you know, mechanics working on people's cars in their own driveway to make extra cash all the time. And I'm like, so this, this entire gray market, this agorist idea has been around me my entire life. Right. But I never was able to identify what it was. And now I'm looking at it and I'm like, I want to attract those people. I want right. I want those people to know you're doing the right thing and don't let the state tell you otherwise. You know, and don't right. let them regulate you out of existence because we need you people for for the future of freedom. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, that's the thing, right, is that not only are, are most people anarchists and they don't know it, most people are uh, agorists and they don't know it. <laughs> right. You know, how many people have a garage sale and then right afterwards they, you know, note uh, what they received on their taxes, note the money they made on their taxes. Yeah. No one does that. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> It's like, so obviously people do have, you know, to some extent this natural instinct. And I do think it's really important to foster that belief that, hey, yeah, you're not alone. Don't don't fall into the trap of believing you're a bad person because of what you're doing. You know, it, it's very important to establish. And I think this all goes back to community. You know, it's a very important to establish this like kind of community norm that says, hey, yeah, we, you know, I have your back in case, you know, anything goes wrong. Or I just want you to at the very least know that you're doing a good thing. Right. And, uh, you know, Konkin talks about this and Carl Hess, who is one of my favorite anarchists, is insane about this. He I loves love Carl his, Hess. Yes. Carl Hess is great. Yes. Yeah. He's all about like this idea of like community. Yeah. 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 I love, I love Carl Hess. He's awesome. Yeah. I remember, uh, it was, it was early 2020. So when I started my podcast in 20, in 2018, the whole idea was I was trying to, to get my mind wrapped around the idea that how libertarianism as a philosophy tied in with uh, entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and it it always felt like okay there's a link there there's yeah. a link there and um sal in 
I guess it was January of 2020, maybe December of 2019, Sal sent me a Carl Hess video. And oh, I was yeah. like, dude, I just found my fucking spirit animal. Oh, you know, yeah, dude. Like, I was just like, yes. Everything he says, yes. <laughs> like, he, and, you know, he's one of the most underrated anarchists. I don't have, I, I wish, I do wish more ANCAPs would read Carl Hess because the guy is just so based. <laughs> and he's just so, he, he's like right about all basically everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was. He listening. has a great, have you ever read his uh, piece? Have you ever read his? Sorry for interrupting. Have you ever read uh, the uh, the piece he wrote? I think it's like uh, what what it, it's like either what it means to be an anarchist or there's only one anarchist. He he tries to say that hey look there is only one type of anarchist, not two. If you're yes. an anarchist, you're an anarchist. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't read it. I got it on audiobook. That's the one that Sal sent okay. to me. Yeah, that's what oh, Sal okay. sent to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my god, I, I'm in love with this guy. I, I want right. everything. I I died. I think in like a week, I digested every audio book I could find. It yeah. is like I just sucked them down. I need to go back and listen to them again mm-hmm. because you know you know how it is. If you if you only listen to it oh, once, yeah, you yeah. only get so much out of it. You listen to it the second time, you're like, how did I miss this? Like, wait, what? Right, you know? right. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely something I need to go back on. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely make a point to do that now that it, his name came up because I always have a trouble. I always have trouble remembering his name. I always know who I'm talking about. Oh, I'll, okay. I'll like text Pete and I'll be uh-huh. like, "Hey, dude, who's that? Who's that agorist that I like so much? The one anarchist guy." He's like, "I don't Conkin. Right. I don't know who are you talking about." <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> he's one of those. He's one of those names that always just kind of slips through the cracks. But yeah, he's he's absolutely yeah. one of my favorites for sure yeah me too yeah mine too he he's just so underrated and i think that's a real shame yeah yeah and i always root for the underdog so yeah yeah me too <laughs> so when all right so like when how do we how do we uh square this circle because the anarchists the libertarians they have a tendency to and I get frustrated with this. And I, this was what I was ranting about at Childerberg on, mm-hmm. on Patrick's show. And is, is this, this highbrow ideology in speaking above everybody's heads because people seem to be worried, more worried about being the smartest person in the room than the most right. effective person in the room. Yeah, you see this everywhere. Um you have to if if you're going to like convince a person you, by definition you have to like come to them as they are you know you have to find what makes them tick what is important to them and address that through your ideology you have to show them like through anarchism it's like oh yeah here's how your concerns can be addressed right uh, scott horn has that great thing you attack the left from the left and the right from the right right and that's not to say you can you know um you throw away your principles just to try to convert them. No, you, you use your principles, but you couch them in different language that is relatable to that person's concerns, right? So like if I'm talking to a leftist, I might talk about mutual aid a lot, you know, because that is something that would might appeal to them more. If I'm talking to someone on the right, I might talk to them about, you know, entrepreneurship or something like that. You know, th- there's all these different ways we can uh, find little inroads into these people's minds and show them that, hey, yeah, this, this thing is not what you thought it was. I can understand it if you have a revulsion to it when you first hear about it. But let me make my case. 
right? And you can kind of just do that slowly. Uh, not everyone is as receptive to it. And some people don't, you know, reply back in good faith, but that's fine. You can have fun with them. Uh, and, but, but, you know, you always have to approach other people from where they are. You can't like, 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 obviously, you know, we, me and you, we weren't always anarchists, right? right. At one point we had to, you know, develop into this. So I always think that, you know, as frustrating as it can be like arguing with people and trust me, I know <laughs> uh, you, you always have to like, remember or keep in the back of your mind that, Hey, uh, we didn't always believe this. So maybe, maybe just because they don't believe it right now, that doesn't mean we're not helping them to get there. You know what I mean? Right. Maybe we planted seeds in their minds somewhere. So even if someone is not receptive to you at all, just keep, keep at it, keep doing it, keep rolling that boulder up the hill. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I ran into Judge Napolitano admitting he was an anarchist. And that's why oh. I, like, I was like, wait a second. Hold on yeah. one minute. <laughs> I remember that video. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, like what I heard him go, well, you don't hear me denying it, do you? And I was like, wait a minute. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so that's what, right. that's what sent me down the road. I was like, all right, wait a minute. And it's all Austin yeah. Peterson's fault as much as he hates that idea so oh yeah <laughs> right right <laughs> so um, how, how did you how did you stumble into anarchy uh well fun uh funny enough it was actually judge napolitano oh. <laughs> uh yeah so i my family was republican and they uh always had like fox news on in the house and judge napolitano was the one person who i actually liked on fox news i thought he made a lot of sense and i thought he had a lot of like esoteric opinions that no one else talked about or said anything about or agreed with as i thought at the time so he kind of sent me down this road of like um like getting into like ron paul and tom woods and all these different people and from tom woods i found i read all the yeah, i read rothbard and from rothbard i read all these other anarchists and eventually I just found this group of people on Twitter who are anarchists and really cool as well. And here I am. So that's a very short abridged version. What was the, what was the first book you read that just blew your mind? Oh God. Uh, probably, I think it was anatomy of the state. Really? For me, it yeah. was the law by Bastia. Oh, that's a great one too. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I read, I read it before I read anatomy of the state, but I read anatomy okay, yeah. of the state directly afterwards that you know so. th those are actually the two <laughs> books i recommend to people if, if people are just getting into like even minarchism or anarchism right. it's the law and then anatomy of the state yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. and I, I after reading uh left and left right in the prospects for liberty by right. rothbard i went around for a long time saying make the make bastiat the left again and right right, that right really made a lot of people mad Oh, really? Yeah. I, you know, I, a lot of ANCAPs have never read that uh, piece from Rothbard at all. No, I, I um, read it. I, I did a, um, in 2000, I think it was early 2019, I did a podcast with Scott and Pete together. Oh, uh, cool. On, um, well, no, 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 no. I take that back. I did a, I did a podcast with Michael Harris, who's a friend of mine. He's an attorney. He's a public mm -hmm. defender up in the Dallas area. And, um, he actually was a student of Murray Rothbard's at the oh, University cool. of Nevada. And um, I, but what I did is I asked, like I asked Scott and Pete and I think Sherry voluntary and a couple of other people to send in uh, fragments of why Murray Rothbard meant so much to them. Mm -hmm. And I, I called it, uh, I, I called it the figures of history series 
and uh, it was the Murray Rothbard edition. I did one on Ron Paul. I did one on Murray Rothbard. I did a couple of others. I need to I need to bring that back. I want to do one on William Norman Grigg. Um, oh yeah. But uh, but yeah. So in Scott in in Scott's section that I had put on that podcast where he was talking about why Murray Rothbard meant so much to him, he mentioned left, right, and the prospects for liberty. And I was yeah. like, oh, shit, I got to I gotta read this. And I it, immediately read it. And I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it. And then I got annoying, and I posted it to everybody's comments. Every time somebody would say something, I, just, I would post. I, I just was got to be, like, annoying with that. I was sending it to everybody I could think to send it to. Boogie, stop. And and for anyone who hasn't read it, I'm going to kind of like spoil Rothbard's point here. But he, he calls the communists like these conservatives, and he says that the libertarians are the true leftists. Yeah, <laughs> and it's called, really the funny. Social, the socialists are centrist. Yes, yeah, centrist conservatives or something <laughs> like that. And then the, the libertarian anarchists are the actual far left. It's really funny. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a – it's definitely – um, like on the like how we define or how historically left and right has been defined not necessarily today in today's time but historically it's like it came from the french parliament right yeah. bastian perdon sat on the left side and then the aristocrats uh, and uh, the the monarchs uh supporters sat on the right and that's how that's how we get and then the, and then the right socialists left. infiltrated the left because they didn't have a place yeah. on the right yeah that's right yeah yeah so yeah no i, I love i love that yeah, I love I love and see that's the thing about me is like when I when it comes to like Mises or Rothbard, I've read mm -hmm. more of their their his their writings on history than I have yeah. on their writings on economics. So you'll oh yeah, Rothbard's a great historian. Oh yeah, well Mises is too. He wrote yeah. Uh, oh yeah that 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 book Theory and History. Oh my God, I love yeah, that theory, book. Yep, I love that book. Yeah, and then he has another great. one on fascism. Uh, I can't remember what it's called right now off the top of my head. Um, is that is that liberalism? No. Um, shit. I'm going to have to oh, look okay. it up now. Um, yeah, but it's just on fascism. It's like a, a black and white cover. Uh, let me just look. Let me just look it up. Oh, maybe I don't know this one. Yeah. Um, I found a, I found it on audiobook, and I was on, on YouTube. I ran across it, and I was like... Um, mm. I was like, ooh, cool. Uh, a Mises book that I, I haven't heard. Uh, uh, well, I, a Mises history book I haven't I haven't read yet. Um, and I was like, well, let me check it out. Oh, sorry, what was it? And I, I, I don't I don't have the name yet. I'm looking. Oh, I'm not, okay. I'm, I'm not of your generation. It takes me a lot longer to uh, to type and and talk at the same time. <laughs> no, you're fine. You froze for a second on my end, and I didn't know if you said the name. So I was like, "Oh, wait a minute." <laughs> wait, that might that might that might be it. Let me see. Let me see if this is the right cover. Ludwig uh, von Mises pieces. Yes, fascism and capital, fascism versus capitalism. That's what it is. Oh, okay. I might have read excerpts from that, but I don't think I've ever read that one fully through. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I, I ran into it on a, 
there's there's some YouTube channel, and they just randomly every once in a while post like uh, like books up there, oh, audio books, awesome. and they do a lot of Mises and Rothbard and 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 it's easy to to confuse them with um, Antifa because they use the three arrows. Oh, okay, yeah. So I I've had people ask me. Um, in that uh, in that one of those uh Antifa sites, and it's like no 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 no, that's not uh. Let's see if I can find the um. Let's see if I can find what the name of the channel is because it's actually a really good channel. They have a lot of good audio books up there. That's awesome. Um, I love any of those channels that just promote like liberty and all. I just think that whenever I see someone like actually do that, that's awesome. Yes. I don't see the one I'm looking for. Of course, I haven't read that one yet, so now I'm going to have to listen to that. <laughs> Planned Chaos. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I just finished... Um... Ah, here it is. Omnipotent Government. The Rise of the to Total State and Total War. That's the book I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've heard of it, yeah. Liberty, I think in I've our, read Liberty in Our Time is the name of the... Of the uh, oh, yeah. the channel. I know that channel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they have the, okay, three, yeah. they have the three arrows like a lot of Antifa right. uses. Yeah, I, I was wondering if it, fascism versus capitalism was the one I was thinking of. No, it's the omnipotent government. That's the one. Okay, yeah, yeah. so good. I I listened to it like I think I listened to it for two weeks solid over and over and over again. Oh. Yeah. It's just so good. I, I love I love to hear these guys break down history the way they do. Yeah. But and see, driving and I was talking to Reed about this, driving and listening to economics book, it just doesn't mix. And you're just like you zone out and you and right. you're like you miss like two chapters and you're like, shit, what the fuck did I just listen to? Right, you're trying, to, you're trying to figure out where the hell you were, and exactly you know, yeah, all yeah. that, you know. So yeah, it just doesn't work. So typically, what I do if I'm listening to economics book, I'll listen to about thirty or forty five minutes of it in mm -hmm. one day, and then I'll go find another book or something else to listen to the rest of the day. Right, I can't yeah. do it like like a history book. I can go like Stephen Kinzer like writing about like the CIA or some shit like that. I can listen yeah. eight hours straight, like no right, right. I'm just like, just For dumping sure. this shit into my head. But right. Yeah, right. When it comes to economics, it just kind of makes you kind of like zone out. It gets a little right, bit. Then they're, plan. then they're using terms and you, they don't, sometimes they don't define the terms in there. And then you're left thinking, Oh wait, what does that mean? Exactly. You know? And that's <laughs> just like, Oh, and then it was, wait, wait, let me go back. And then it's just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. so that's like that's one of the but yes yeah, omnipotent government that's the, oh, okay. that was the one i was talking about that's i feel like really i read good. excerpts from that yeah yeah it's really good and um and then again theory and history or history and theory yeah whichever way it's worded i love that book that's that's yeah, one of my that favorite was great. books <clears throat> i have socialism sitting at home and i still haven't broke it open but I oh really <laughs> i'm gonna have to yeah I just it was it was funny because it was it wasn't until this year I've been a Bob Murphy fan for mm -hmm. three years and oh, yeah. it wasn't because I used to listen to Contra Krugman all the time and, uh, <laughs> and but it wasn't until this year that I actually read Chaos Theory like I was just like I was like wait 
I hadn't read that. Oh, dude, yet. that's one of my favorite like introductions that I give to people when they're oh, whenever great, they want to talk. It's, a great it's like book. he just he just nails like every type of criticism, boom, 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 in a very yeah. short amount of time. It's really good. But but I don't like insurance companies. That was the one thing about the book. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> sure, yeah. And I'm gonna um I'm gonna start I think the next book I'm gonna break into is Crisis and Leviathan by Robert Oh, Robert Higgs. Higgs. Yeah. That's yeah. I love I love Robert Higgs so much. Yeah. Yeah. Mike that guy's Ma- great. Mike Meharry is a good friend of mine and he he always mm-hmm. refers to himself as a Higgsian. You're right. Yeah. No. Higgs is just great. Like yeah. he's just fantastic. I've read a lot of his articles and essays and stuff, but I've never read any of his okay. books. So I'm gonna Yeah, Crisis and Leviathan is like one of those it's like in my opinion like a must read for people. It's yeah. uh, just so good. Yeah, Mike Meharry every time he comes on the show, I have him on all the time. Oh, well, once a year really. But every time he comes on the show, he's always he always quotes from it and he's always referencing it. So, have you ever seen the Higgs uh, YouTube video, The State is Too Dangerous to Tolerate? I believe that was the name of the lecture at the Mises Institute. If not, you should. It's great. Oh, no, I haven't. Oh, well, man. Yeah, I'll send it to you out. after this. It's Yeah. For sure. Well, we're kind of like rolling down anyway, I guess, because we're just kind of like just bullshitting about books now. So. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you got any final thoughts you want to want to add to the to this uh, ever-changing potpourri discussion that we had? Sure. I Well, I would just say that anarchism is not, like for anyone who may be listening to this, who is like a little unsure of like anarchism, it's not scary. It doesn't have to be scary. Uh, I would say definitely check out the books that we've talked about in this episode. And uh, yeah, just if you have any questions about anarchism, you can hit me up on Twitter at ace underscore Arcus, and I would be very happy to answer those questions. And uh, Tommy, I also want to say thank you so much for having me on. This has been an absolute pleasure, and I love meeting you and your wife at Childerberg. Oh, yeah, man. And we're, we're going to do this more. Yeah, if, if I have anything to say about it, we're, I'm going to have you on. I've told you this before. I'm going to have you co-host with me if I can get some of your heroes on here. And uh, oh, I, I would. That would I'm, be so I'm like flattering you. for me. Thank you. I'm going to bring you on, and I'm just going to be like, "Yeah, this is Tommy Salmons, and this is Year Zero. Enjoy listening to Ace and Pear Pear Bielen for the next hour and a half." You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome tommy thank you so much <laughs> absolutely man uh, let me stop i this would recording. love that yeah thank you so much for inviting me on oh this was fun man i, I enjoyed talking to you hold on one second yeah i had a lot of fun Just a slave. All your good intentions took you to your grave. Your pride is how they killed you. With the flag you wave, just like a fool. They promised you a mountain. 
gifted you a stone They demanded that you throw it Into your neighbor's home And then seize all that they worked for And give it to the throne Just like a tool Teaching us in school They dumbs down all around Propaganda their pollution They set a cage up on the stage A facade for a solution They build a wall Block them all from this mental institution It's insane Until our right to freedom is understood.